The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. As our children are leaving, take your Bible in hand and come with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, will be our text this morning. Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. As you're turning, I just want you to know how excited Charlene and I are to begin our journey with you, uh, to join together with you on Sunday mornings for worship, to sing praises unto the Lord, uh, to study His Word together. His Word molds and shapes us into the people that Jesus longs for us to be. And so we just appreciate the opportunity to begin this journey with you. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to do something. I probably won't ask you to do it the rest of the time I serve you as your interim pastor. Would you take out your phone for me? Would you do that? Reach over, take out your phone. Regardless of age, everybody has a phone these days. It's either in our pocket or our purse or reach over and grab yours. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to connect with me on social media. Would you do that? Would you give me the privilege of being your Facebook friend? How about that? You see on the screen behind me uh, the ways that you'll find me listed in Facebook, Chuck Register. Now, if you're looking for my picture uh, for my profile, you won't find me, but you'll find a senior adult couple with a young toddler, young baby on uh, the lady's lap. That's in honor of my parents and our oldest grandchild. That's uh, Charlie and mom and dad. So that's how you'll find me there. List is Chuck Register. On Twitter, at Chuck Register, you'll find me on Twitter. Now you're saying, why in the world does he want us to do this? Because I want to communicate with you each week. You'll find there posts from time to time, scripture passages for encouragement. Uh, you'll find some studies about church growth and church health that I read and find interesting. You'll find some advertising, some promotion for Emmanuel as we move forward together if you'll just connect with me on social media. So here's what I hope. I hope as Charlene drives home after worship this morning, I spend the entire trip out to Clayton just accepting friend requests that are coming in from you right now. All right. Now, you also see my email address if there's a way that I can serve you, help you, pray with you, please feel free uh, to shoot me an email. You can always call the church office and leave a message for me. If you want to just connect with me immediately, shoot me an email and I'll be glad to respond as I possibly can. I want to get to know you as your interim pastor. And these are some ways we can connect electronically at least throughout the week. So I look forward to being your Facebook friend Friends forever on Facebook. How about that? Would you stand with me in honor of reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 29. Our text this morning begins in verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Father, would you help us to not just understand intellectually 
this passage of Scripture today. But Father, would you help us to take these biblical principles that we learned this morning and plant them deep within our hearts that we might live them out each day in our lives. Lord, thank you for this wonderful promise spoken to Jeremiah and through Jeremiah to the children of Israel so many years ago. For Father, we believe it's a promise that still applies to your children today. Help us to embrace it. Help us to live it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As you're being seated, I have a question for you this morning. How many of you would like to know the future? Now think about that for a second. How many would like to know the future? You see, I think all of us sometime during our lifetime, we would just love to have a peek at the future. Now think with me. A young couple, they've been married a couple of years. The wife begins to suspect she might be with child. She gets one of those home pregnancy test. It comes back positive. She makes an appointment with her doctor. Her doctor confirms that she's expecting. And that couple, immediately, they would love to know the future. Will it be a boy or will it be a girl? Will the baby be born healthy or will we have some challenges? What kind of character will that future son or daughter have? What kind of adult will they become? What contribution will they make to society? That couple would love to know the future. Think with me about a patient that goes to the doctor. There's a certain spot on their body that's become somewhat um, tender, discomforting. They've been dealing with this pain for a couple of months, and finally they've gone to the doctor, and the doctor's performed kind of a, an overall assessment of their health. And the doctor says, what we really need to do is a month from today, we need to perform test A, test B, and test C. When we have the results of those tests, we can probably identify what's causing this discomfort. Immediately, that patient longs to know the future. They want to race 30 days into the future so that they know the result of test A, B, and C so that that doctor can diagnose what's causing that problem. There are times in our lives we long to know the future. Well, the same is true when a church loses her pastor. When a church's pastor stands and offers his resignation and he is moved by the Lord to a new ministry, instinctively that congregation begins to ask some questions about the future. What will our new pastor look like? What what kind of family will he have? Will he be old or young? Will Will he be educated or perhaps in the process of gaining his education? What's going to be his preaching style What will be his leadership style? We long to know the future. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know as well as I do, we can't predict the future, can we? But fortunately, we know a heavenly father that does know the future. Amen? We have a heavenly father who before time ever began to tick, he has spelled out the future, not only for you as an individual, but for your family, and yes, for this, his church. This morning, I want to show you from Jeremiah chapter 29. Not only does God know the future, but God has a plan for your future. He has a plan for your future as an individual follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a plan for the future of your marriage and your children. And yes, he has a plan for the future of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Take a look with me. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's begin looking verse 11 as we first 
see, God has a plan for your future. Verse 11, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah and the Lord says, for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there, there are several words, several phrases that we need to pull out and examine so that we can understand exactly what God is saying when he says, I know the plans that I have for you. First of all, the pronoun I that's used in this verse of scripture is written in what grammarians tell us is the emphatic. It means I and only I. There are certain principles in scripture that only apply to our heavenly father. This is one. The Lord says, I and only I. He says, I know. The word know that's used there, ladies and gentlemen, means to know something because you've seen it with your eye. It's not knowledge that you gain because you've read a book. It's not knowledge that you've gained because you've listened to a lecture. It's not knowledge because you've tuned into a podcast. It is knowledge that you possess experientially because you have seen something as if it's already a reality. So the father says to Jeremiah, I and only I know something about you, Jeremiah. I and only I know something about the children of Israel. I know it because I've seen it with my own eye. Do you like those farmers mutual insurance commercials? It always has the tagline, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. You've seen those commercials. Well, the Lord is seated on his throne in heaven this morning. He's saying to Emmanuel Baptist Church, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And look what he's seen. Come back to this text with me. For I know the plans that I have for you. I want us to concentrate for just a moment on the phrase that I have for you. That's a phrase in the language of the Hebrew that takes us back to the house of a weaver. A weaver who is seated at his loom and he's weaving a beautiful tapestry. As a matter of fact, if you literally translate that phrase, the Lord is saying, I know the plans that I weave for you. Have you ever watched a weaver make a tapestry? They take blue threads and green threads and yellow threads and red threads and, and they begin to put together a beautiful picture. If you and I are looking at the back side of the tapestry, we see a lot of confusion. We, we see a lot of color that blends together and it makes no sense whatsoever. But if you look at the front side of the tapestry, the more that weaver works, the picture becomes in focus because the weaver has exactly in mind the tapestry he's wanting to create. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what the Lord is saying in this passage of Scripture. The Lord is saying to Jeremiah, he's saying to the children of Israel, he's saying to Emmanuel Baptist Church, I know the plans that I'm in the process of weaving for you. You may not see what I'm up to during this interim period. You may just see blue threads and green threads and yellow threads all racing together in a confusing pattern. But the Lord says, I'm looking on the front side of the tapestry that I'm weaving for you and I know your future because I've seen your future. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we see a testimony of this in Jeremiah's life himself. Keep your finger in Jeremiah chapter 29. Come back with me all the way to Jeremiah chapter 1. Look with me, Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. 
Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah writes, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have pointed you a prophet to the nations. Back in chapter 1, the Lord said, I know the plans that I have for you, Jeremiah. Before I knit you together in your mother's womb, I've appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. We come to Jeremiah chapter 29, and that future that God saw before Jeremiah was ever formed in his mother's womb, that future has become a reality as Jeremiah is now a prophet to the nation. It's a beautiful biblical picture of this very principle. God says, I know. You may not know, but I know. I know the future that I'm weaving for you. Charlene and I learned this biblical principle in a personal way. When our son Chip was only 10 years of age, he played Little League Baseball. As a matter of fact, I I think we, we have a picture. There he is on the mound. He could throw every bit of about 33 miles per hour. I was about it. When Chip was just a little fellow... He, he was very much a knucklehead. Now, today, he's 32 years of age. He's a wonderful husband, a wonderful dad, a, a very effective businessman in administration. But when he was just a little fella, he was a knucklehead. As a matter of fact, a few years prior to this picture, I, I was off preaching a revival in North Louisiana. Charlene and I lived in New Orleans where I was teaching there at the seminary. And on a Sunday afternoon after church, Chip was playing with some of his Sunday school classmates And I know this sounds gross, but he had a number two pencil stuck in his eye. He didn't want to tell his mom because if he told his mom, he wouldn't be able to go to the Sunday school skating party that afternoon. And so he kept it a secret. I told you he was a knucklehead. He kept it a secret. He he went and he uh, went roller skating. He went to his Sunday school teacher's home and shot hoop for a while. And finally, Charlene went to the Sunday school teacher's home to pick him up at the appointed time. Chip hops in the family van. He looks at his mom, and she sees that the colored portion of one of his eyes is now protruding from the hole created by the pencil. She rushes him to Oshner Hospital. Oshner Hospital begins to do an evaluation. Oshner Hospital says he needs emergency surgery. We, we think we can save the eye. We're not sure, but he needs emergency surgery. She calls me. And I begin my trek from North Louisiana to South Louisiana. Chip has the surgery. The next morning, Charlene and I are sitting in his hospital room by his bed, and the surgeon walks in the door. The Lord's about to teach us this principle, that he has our future all planned out. The surgeon begins to tell us about the surgery. She's pleased with how successful the surgery has been. And she notes then that that he is her first Surgical patient. We began to question that statement, and, and, and she clarified it. She said, oh, no, I'm sorry. He's, he's not my first surgical patient. He's my first surgical patient at this hospital. She said, you know, until last week, I was a, a pediatric ophthalmologist practicing in New York City. But in the last several months, I, I had this strange sensation that I was just restless and I needed a new, fresh start somewhere else in the country. And so I picked Oshner Hospital and, and I moved to New Orleans just this past week and was certified on Friday to perform surgery in the state of Louisiana. Ladies and gentlemen, it's just this passage of Scripture unfolding in our lives. 
The Lord knew our son would would get a pencil stuck in his eye. The Lord knew that we would need a surgeon who was trained and had expertise in knitting together the eyes of children. And so the week before my son would need the right surgeon, he, he moved a lady from New York City to New Orleans. He allowed her to be certified on a Friday so she could scrub in and knit his eye back together on a Sunday. That's how our Lord works. He knows our future. We saw this principle played out in our last pastorate. We were serving First Baptist Church, Gulfport, Mississippi. That's a picture of the worship center at First Baptist Church, Gulfport. She looked like that on August the 28th, 2005. August 29th, 2005, she looked like that. Hurricane Katrina had roared ashore and destroyed that facility. We had seven buildings before the storm. After the storm left, we had four buildings laying on the ground, three that were condemned the following week by FEMA. Total loss of the physical plant of the church. A lot of folks in Baptist life saw that picture following Hurricane Katrina, 13, now coming on 14 years ago. It was an iconic image. It was the backdrop, if you will, for ABC and CBS and NBC as they would broadcast their nightly news following that storm. But very few people know the story behind the story. The story behind the story reminds us of the truth of Jeremiah chapter 29. God knows our future. The storm hit in August. In April, before the storm hit in August, our staff conducted our normal spring staff retreat. We went away for 24 hours just to consider one question. The one question we discussed for 24 hours, how would we do church if we didn't have a facility? Now, we weren't clairvoyant. We didn't know a storm was coming our way that would wipe us off the map in physical location. We did know that there was a a boom right then going on on the coast of Mississippi and property was selling at very expensive, exorbitant rates. And and perhaps we might have a developer come and offer us property on our church there on the beach. And the price might be so high we would have to listen as an act of stewardship. And so if we sold the property as an act of stewardship, how would we do church? In that 24-hour discussion, the Lord, the Lord put upon our heart a plan to do church, to do ministry seven days a week in our community without the benefit of a church facility. When Katrina hit on Monday morning, the next 24-hour period, we put the plan God gave us in April into effect. He knew what was happening. He, he knew in April that in the coming August, there would be a Cat 5 hurricane that would come across with a 32-foot storm surge and eradicate our facility. And we would need a plan immediately in how to do church. And so he gave it to us back in April. The Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. I can see the future you cannot see. I can see around the curve. I can see over the mountain. What you cannot see coming your way, I can see it and I can plan for it before it ever happens. Now, ladies and gentlemen, why do I share that with you this morning? Because when Brother Steve stood and resigned a few weeks ago, that did not catch God off guard. The Lord was not blindsided at all. As a matter of fact, the Lord knew before Brother Steve became your pastor when he would move him to a new ministry assignment. And the Lord has your future all planned out. 
Aren't you glad that our future doesn't rest in an interim pastor? Aren't you glad that your future doesn't rest in your, your deacon body as wonderful as those men are? Aren't you glad that your future doesn't rest in your hands? Aren't you glad that your future, the future of this church, rests in the hands of Almighty God? Nothing catches God by surprise. Oops is not in his vocabulary. He knew exactly when Brother Steve would resign, and he has your future all mapped out. Now, secondly, I want you to see in this passage, not only does God have a plan for your future, but don't miss this. Some people miss this. I don't want you to miss this. God's future does not prevent you from experiencing pain in life. Just because God has your future mapped out doesn't mean that you get to walk through life not experiencing any pain whatsoever. Look back at verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 29, the children of Israel. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. God's plan does not preclude the possibility of your plan. The Lord says, I, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for future and a hope, a beautiful tapestry that I'm weaving. But look what he says in verse 10. But there's going to be 70 years in Babylon before that future becomes a reality. You know what the children of Israel were doing in Babylon? They were slaves. They served under harsh taskmasters. They felt the sting of the whip. They worked long, arduous hours enslaved to another king and another kingdom. The Lord is saying to them, listen, I have a future for you. I've mapped it out. I've woven this beautiful tapestry of your future. But there's going to be 70 more years of heartache before my future becomes a reality. Now, we see this in Scripture too, don't we? Think with me about the life of Joseph. You remember Joseph, book of Genesis? Just to remind you, keep your finger, Jeremiah 29. We're, we're going to come back there. Come with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45 is a beautiful example of the fact that sometimes, though God has our future planned out and it's a future for our good, there is pain that precedes that beautiful future. Genesis chapter 45, verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, now you've studied the Bible, you know what's happening in chapter 45. Joseph has risen to the number two place in the kingdom. His brothers have come to him because there's a famine in the land and they're looking for some grain and they've been dealing with Joseph, but haven't recognized him as their brother from long ago. And now Joseph's decided it's time to let his brothers know exactly who they're dealing with. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Ladies and gentlemen, when, when he said, whom you sold into slavery, their knees must have started knocking because they knew the rest of the story. They knew how they were jealous of Joseph when he was just a boy and had that beautiful coat given to him by his father. 
They knew that they had decided as a group to kill him and to tell their father he was dead. They knew that it was Reuben who had said, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit and and let's just let him die of natural causes. And they knew it was Judah who had said as the Ishmaelites came by, let's take him up out of the pit and sell him into slavery and make a few bucks off his head. Can you imagine how painful that must have been for Joseph? Your own brothers want to kill you and then know they just want to leave you for dead. And then finally they decide to make a profit off your head. They sell him into slavery. He goes down and he becomes a number two person in the household of Potiphar. You know the story. And Potiphar's wife makes a romantic play to Joseph. And Joseph rebuffs her. And so she accuses him of sexual assault. And he's cast into prison. His life is filled with pain after pain after pain after pain. But look what he says in chapter 45. Verse 5. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Don't miss this phrase. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there shall be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you, a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but, what's the word, church? God. Joseph said, look, God had a plan for my life. He knew exactly he wanted me to be the second person in the kingdom to preserve the children of Israel and my family. There's a lot of pain that went through my life to get me here, but God had a plan for my life. After the hurricane destroyed First Baptist Church's facility, we eventually were blessed to be able to construct this new facility. 58,000 square feet of beautiful space, state-of-the-art preschool and children's space, on 35-acre track of land. Just a beautiful, beautiful facility by the gracious hand of God. But to get there, next picture, we had to go through the heartache of Hurricane Katrina. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. God has a plan for the future of Emmanuel Baptist Church. He has already called a man to be your next pastor. You don't know who he is. You've never met him. You've probably never laid eyes on him. But God has already chosen him. But in order to introduce you to him, you have to go through the pain of saying goodbye to Brother Steve. And let's just confess this morning, losing a pastor is painful. Some of you know Jesus today because of his faithful witness of the gospel. Some of you have grown in your walk with the Lord because of his faithful preaching and teaching of God's word. Some of you are husband and wife because you stood here at this altar and he he pronounced your wedding vows. Some of you have said goodbye to mom and dad and either he conducted the service or you turned and he was there in the crowd at the funeral to support you. And you love him, and that's natural. And saying goodbye is painful and it's hurtful, but you have to walk through that pain in order to meet the new man that God has chosen to be your pastor in the days to come. God's plan does not preclude the possibility that you might experience pain in your life, and that is so true for congregations.
There's one last thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. God's plan and your pain, when those two come together, they should lead you to one place and one place alone. When God's plan and your pain come together, it should lead you to one place. Come back to Jeremiah chapter 29. Look with me, verse 12. We've seen the pain that the children of Israel are going to experience for another 70 years, slavery. We've seen in verse 11 that that God has a plan for their future. But look in verse 12. Then you will call upon me. The word call there means to, to cry out to a famous person until you get their attention. It's not just to call out once and and they walk by without noticing you and and so you remain silent. It means to call out to a famous person and to call and call and call until they stop to notice you. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me. That means to search until you find. Have you ever lost your car keys? Of course you have. What would you do? You searched until you found. Matter of fact, you may have stopped the entire household and got everyone in the household to help you turn the house upside down until you searched until you found. It's the same idea in this text. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here just simply to tell you this morning, God has a plan for your future. As a church, he has a plan for your future. That plan sometimes means that you have to travel through pain. You have to go through heartache. You have to experience those things that you would prefer not to experience because they bring a level of discomfort into your life. But when those two things hit head to head, God's plan and your pain, it should drive you to worship the Lord. That's what's being described in this passage of Scripture. Call, seek, pray. Those are worship actions. My daughter Christina helped us to understand this principle. Got a picture of Christina. There she is. Can I get an awe for Christina? She, yeah. Christina's 30. She lives here in the Raleigh Metroplex these days. She's serving another congregation this morning as director of missions and children's ministries. When she was a sophomore in college at Mississippi State University, Charlene and I still lived on the coast of Mississippi. The phone rang in my office one day, and I picked it up, and and I heard Tina's voice, and she said, Daddy? Now, how many fathers of daughters are here today? Yeah, you know, Dad, when they say, Daddy? They want one of two things. They want money or they want permission, or they want both. (laughs) So I just cut to the chase. I said, honey, what do you want? She said, daddy, what would you and mama say if, if I spent this summer in the Philippines? I said, honey, I didn't know there was a town in Mississippi called the Philippines. Where, (laughs) where is that? She said, daddy, you know where I'm talking about. I said, you mean like halfway around the world, Philippines? She said, yes, sir. She said, the International Mission Board has a program where if I'm accepted, I can go for 10 weeks and serve as a missionary in the Philippines this summer between my sophomore and junior year. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you do with that? 
Your daughter has just called and said, that which you've raised me to do, I'm willing to do. You have raised me to listen to the Lord and be obedient to the Lord when he calls. And and I've heard him calling me to the Philippines. So so what do you do with that? I, I said, honey, you let me talk to your mom and I'll call you back. Well, the decision was already made. You, she's following her Lord. So the next day I called her back. I said, honey, your mom and I are fine. If you want to apply to the International Mission Board and go halfway around the world, you, you just go right ahead. Sure enough, she was accepted. And the day came, it was time to drive Tina to the airport. Charlene said, I don't think I can handle that scene emotionally at the airport, so I'm going to say my goodbyes here, and you take her to the airport. So we got to the airport, and I was so proud of myself. I, I, I had really been repeating the same mantra, do not cry, do not cry, do not cry. And so we got her checked, her luggage checked in, and she got her ticket, and we got her down to the, um, the TSA area for her to go through the metal detectors, and she went through the metal detectors, and and then as she was winding through that process, I, I kept kind of moving where I could see her through the glass petition, and eventually she went out of sight. And I turned to walk away in the lobby of the airport, and I began to boo-hoo. I mean, big-time boo-hoo. My baby girl is going halfway around the world. I'm not going to be there to protect her and to care for her. And I just began to cry uncontrollably. I was crying so hard that all of the women wanted to come up and hug me there in the lobby. The, the men kind of walked way around just in case that was contagious. Eh? I'm just boohooing. I get outside and sit down in my truck in the parking lot. And then I really lose it. I'm really crying. And I began to have a conversation with the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm her protector. I'm her father. For the last... 20 years I've been taking care of her. And and what happens in the Philippines if she gets sick? I I can't be there at the drop of a hat to care for her. And what happens if she's injured and and she needs surgery, heaven forbid? I can't get there for several days. Lord, I I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know this. You're going to have to take care of my baby girl. And then I heard this voice. Who do you think's been taking care of her all this time anyway? And in that moment, ladies and gentlemen, I experienced the sweetest moment of worship I've ever had. Why? Because God's plan for Tina's life was butting heads with the pain I was experiencing as his father, her father. That drove me to the Lord. It drove me to pray. It drove me to cry out to him. And it drove me to hear his voice when he said, who do you think's been taking care of her anyway? So here's the application for Emmanuel Baptist Church. It may seem somewhat discomforting that you're here without a pastor in this season. But God's got a plan for your future. He's already picked the man who's going to be your next pastor. There there may be some pain and heartache to get to that introduction. But when that pain and heartache comes as a church family, it should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to worship. It should drive us 
to the arms of the Father. Here's the danger in the interim season. The danger in the interim season is the church goes that way. And everybody chases their own idea of what church should be and how a church should function. And in the interim season, what should happen? It should drive us that way. To the arms of the Father who has a plan for our future. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. God's plan for your future includes a close, personal, intimate relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a part of God's plan for every man, woman, boy, girl on the face of this earth. He wants to know you intimately through faith in his son, Jesus. Jesus came and he died for you on Calvary's cross. He paid for your sin with his blood. He arose from the grave victorious. And today, if you would acknowledge your sinfulness to him, and if you would repent, if you would turn away from your sinfulness and surrender your life to the control of Jesus, making him Savior and Lord, you you can fulfill, you can experience God's plan for your life for intimacy with the God who created you. It all starts through faith in his son. In a moment, we're going to stand where we are. We're going to sing. And when we do, I'm going to be here to receive you. And if you would like to come and give your life to Jesus, would you just simply come and say, I want God's plan for my life. And I want to start by just surrendering my life to Jesus who died for me at Calvary. Friend, I'll pray with you. I'll help you pray and voice your heart to the Lord. Maybe you're here and your church membership is somewhere else. And even in, as we begin this interim season, God's leading you to be a part of this congregation. Would you come unite with us here at Emmanuel? Maybe you need to come this morning and just simply kneel at these steps as an altar and say, Lord, I don't know my future. I don't know what you have planned for me. But I want you to know right now I'm available. Whatever you've planned for me. I pray that it would become a reality in my life. Maybe you want to pray for this church. Lord, in this interim season, whatever you have planned for us, Lord, let it happen. Make it happen as we worship you. Father, would you just take control of this moment of invitation? Would you speak to hearts and challenge hearts and draw hearts to Jesus and through Jesus to intimacy with you? We pray that in the strong name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. We're standing together. We're singing together as we sing. God speaks to your heart. You come this morning. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.